everyone, and welcome to episode 27 of Her Story. This is your host, Cassidy Reed, and today I'm talking with my friend, Addison Lukowski. Addison and I, we talk about his career as a DJ and as a musician and as a writer. We talk about some of his collegiate experiences as well as uh, some of our experiences playing together um, in high school. So that was pretty fun to have somebody from my past on the show as well. And we talk about his connection with the trans community and music and some of the awesome experiences and research that he has done. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this interview. It's also pretty interesting because Addison and I recorded this in his backyard. So if you hear some crazy ambient noises, I think we see a rat at one point. Uh, birds chirping, wind, that sort of thing. That's always a factor when you're recording outside, so just be aware of that. But I think it makes for kind of a better atmosphere, so it's like you're sitting in the backyard with us. Please like it and share it with your friends, and I will see you next Monday. I use he him pronouns and currently I am a DJ in Buffalo New York and I've been doing that for about two years now and I've gotten like a lot of amazing opportunities to play here in Buffalo at some of the local clubs and uh, a lot of amazing opportunities to travel to New York and North Carolina and Detroit so yeah Yay! <laughs> I'm so happy you're doing this because I think it's been like super long since we had a chance to meet up and everything and I think it's gonna be really cool for people to catch a glimpse into what being a DJ is like in your experiences so I think yeah. this is gonna be really awesome. So let's start a little bit. I know your musical background but everybody else doesn't so can you right. talk a little bit about what got you into music and that sort of thing? Yeah so I grew up playing the trombone in since fourth or fifth grade, mm-hmm. and I played that for like 11 years up through high school, and then I ended up going to um, California Institute of the Arts to pursue that and study music performance, and then had a really bad experience there, which we can talk about, and then I ended up moving back to Buffalo, and that's when I kind of got into DJing because I took a really long hiatus from music which was this really sad time in my life. I picked up DJing and that kind of became my outlet in a much different way than the my history as like a classically trained trombonist obviously. Yeah Addison and I we went to the same same high school (laughs) we played next to each other Mm-hmm. Good times. Very good times. So obviously you were very different back then. I yeah. mean, I, I was as well, but you even more so. Yes. So Addison is now going by he, him pronouns, but he used to go by she, her. She, her. Yes, I yes. was a woman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that was back when Addison and I uh, were students together, and then he went to Cal Arts. So you mentioned your little bad experience that happened there. So can you delve yeah. into a little bit about that? Yeah, so I thought that CalArts was going to be my dream school and I was going to like move to LA and have all these job opportunities to be like a studio musician or mm-hmm. play in different bands and things like that. Um, so I was super excited to go out there and then when I got there things were just like not how I expected them to be, specifically with my department, um, like the brass department at mm-hmm. CalArts. Um, I was at the time I was the only woman there yeah. and everybody else obviously was a man and the, my teacher he was a uh, trombone player in the LA Phil and he also taught at CalArts so and the whole reason why you're like going to a music school is to like study with this person right like you're mm-hmm. paying so much fucking money yep. to study <laughs> with this one person so our first few lessons like the first one went okay, and then the second one, 
he really like cracked down on me and mm -hmm. he kind of had that like whiplash teacher vibes where he yeah. taught by like degrading you mm. and he would be like you are a bad musician like why don't you play that again like a good musician or say things like I don't even know how you got into this school like Ooh. really awful shit and then when we would be in like group scenarios um if it was like brass ensemble or just a group lesson with the other trombone players he would single me out like every single time and to the point where like other people were coming up to me to be like what was that about like why was he so hard on you and I'm like dude I don't know that stinks um, yeah so I would just be like terrified to go to band or any rehearsal or any yeah. lesson especially like to have a private lesson with him that was like the scariest because we were just in a room alone and he would just like he was so harsh he was so mean yeah and he so at, as you can imagine like a few weeks into that and I was just my confidence was so depleted mm -hmm. and I was internalizing all that like oh I'm not a good musician I shouldn't be here yeah. I don't have any future in this so wow it was so bad like and I went to the head of the department there of the brass department and I kind of like voiced my concerns and it was just typical institutional power like at work like oh we're so sorry this happened to you but there's nothing we can really do mm -hmm. so that was a major reason that was the major reason why I left CalArts um there was some other stuff about LA that I didn't really like a lot of like the stereotypes about people from LA I found to be true <laughs> and it was beautiful out there I miss the weather my skin has never been more perfect yeah. than when I lived there but I was just not happy and I was so young I was 18 I felt like a mm -hmm. little baby that just like went across the country and had no idea what they were doing you know so yeah I left CalArts after one semester um yeah I left the option open that I was gonna go back but I knew in my heart that I was you not gonna going to. go back yeah, yeah. I just kind of took like a leave of absence and then never went back <laughs> after one semester so it kind of just feels like a blur at this point like it was so long ago and it was only one semester of my life but that really was like a turning point I haven't picked up the trombone since Wow. Yeah, which is really sad. It's really sad that, like, one individual yeah. was able to do that to a student. Yeah. Do you think the reason why you're treated that way is because you're a woman? Or I do, yeah. I do. I did view it as misogyny at the time. How could it not be? You yeah. know, I was sitting there as the only, like, really young woman. Yeah, and nobody else experienced that. Right, and he wouldn't single out anybody else, and I... I felt like I wasn't making more mistakes than anybody else there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely misogyny, definitely. And That's I, so unfortunate. Yeah, I ended up leaving like a because we had to do like chorus evals at the end of the semester, and I ended up writing like a really long letter to the head of the whole music school there, and I was like, if you ever want any like women musicians to like come back to your department like you should really consider getting rid of this man yeah and addressing misogyny in like all other departments yeah because there were also a few other teachers there who did face like sexual assault allegations wow. and just general reports of them being really creepy to a lot of the like women there mm -hmm. yeah it's just not okay it was not like a very welcoming environment for women musicians and uh, like most of my friend group there were musicians and we would all talk about like like friends who were women and when our guy friends would go to like record in the studio like we were never invited like they would have yeah. like studio time wow and we were like why can't we go to the studio like we're also musicians wow and we're in your friend group and they were like oh it's just like the stew it's where the boys hang out and it dude was so i would have flipped out yeah. i would have flipped out and I did flip out eventually, and I kind of, because I was, like, clearly unhappy, so mm -hmm. my friends would always be like, oh, what's wrong? And I eventually was like, yo, the way I'm being treated is, like, not okay, and yeah. I really think it's misogynist. And then I got called a feminist bitch by one of my friends, and then I was like, I need to get out of here. <laughs> it was shitty. Yeah, so I think it kind of did just infect, like, all levels, like, from the institutional level of, like, my professors 
being misogynist to my friend group like not understanding how they were excluding like mm-hmm. women musicians yeah 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 it's so shitty yeah i mean back then it obviously was like a really significant thing but like long term i feel like you're more happy now oh, i yeah. feel like that had to happen in your life for a reason yeah and very much so yeah so you left Cal Arts and then you went to University of Buffalo and you went to gender studies. So can you talk yes. a little bit about your experience in that major and studying that particular topic? Yeah. So I guess actually like the transition from music to gender studies might seem kind of weird, but <laughs> when I was at Cal Arts and like the final few months that I was there, like I was so miserable that I was I just told myself that I needed to find like some other outlet just to get myself through like the last month or two of being in California. Yeah. So that's when I started reading a lot of, like, feminist literature and started to think about gender. And CalArts was actually, like, a really open place when it came to that sort of thing. Like, mm-hmm. that's where I met a lot of trans people for the first time and a lot of really, like, sexually and gender-fluid people. Yeah, because um, where we grew up was... That was not it the was case. completely the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So... That was really, like, at CalArts, like, that's when I started thinking about gender more generally. Mm-hmm. And then when I left, I was just spiraling about what am I going to do next? Like, that was my dream, and it fell apart. Yeah. Um, so kind of, like, feminism and just thinking about gender was the next, like, natural step for me. Like, it was the other thing that I was the most passionate about at the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I enrolled in the gender studies department at UB, and it was okay. Like, it was a decent education. I felt like the most important things that I learned were, like, personal lessons, like, thinking yeah. about my own gender and meeting a lot of my friends who are also trans and teaching myself a lot of the things that I was interested in because mm-hmm. so many gender studies departments are really only centered around, like, women, which yeah. is, like, very important. Like, we need to talk about misogyny and, like, the way that women are positioned as, like, a second class of people. But that was kind of as far as it ever went. Yeah. And we couldn't talk about, like, gender more generally in Mm -hmm. a lot of my classes, which was sad. And how gender is more like a spectrum. Right. Yeah. And how even, like, men and other gendered people are affected by the same issues. Yeah. Because we're all affected by gender, period. Yeah. So I did a lot of, like, independent studies to kind of pursue what I was interested in. Mm -hmm. And eventually, in the last year or two at UB, I was able to, like, fuse that passion for music, like, back into my studies with gender, which was really cool. I ended up writing my thesis about rave culture and transness and Mm -hmm. how the two often go hand in hand and, like, how, like, dance music and the rave more generally is is trans in a way yeah um like a it creates like a transient time and space like it was very like theoretically heavy but that's really cool it was though. cool to write yeah yeah that's very cool so a few things that i thought of when you were talking about your experiences first of all i think it's really awesome that you were able to have a trans community there with you while you were at school because i feel like a lot of trans people especially when they're in college, mm-hmm. they're very isolated and they feel very othered and they're by themselves. Yeah. And so I think it's really cool that you have close friends mm-hmm. that are like you. And it's very unique because I feel like a lot of people struggle to find that or try, struggle to find people like them. Yeah, definitely. I got really lucky with that. Yeah. Um, it almost feels kind of like fateful how I like met my friends. Like, yeah. We all just kind of moved into a house together without knowing each other very well. And we like particularly my roommate that I'm still living with now like we came out together and like have transitioned together that's awesome which is such a beautiful experience like that's so cool yeah yeah and then you're talking about your thesis can you talk a little bit more about that because I think that's really yeah. fascinating it's it's a really wild I never heard of that before so yeah. go ahead <laughs> um, so I kind of like developed my own theory I guess I hope I don't sound pretentious. No, you're fine. So basically, like, thinking of transness not just as, like, gender transition, but Mm -hmm. as just, like, a a liminal moment of, like, it's kind of, like, passing between something. 
So going off the fact that I realized I was trans at a rave, mm. and then subsequently meeting like so many other either like trans DJs or just passionate ravers who also had similar experiences of like realizing they were trans, it just made me question like there's got to be something to this that yeah. fosters like transness. So I was thinking about just the conditions of raving, the music itself being this very long like history of like sampling and mixing and pulling from like different sources to create like this really long form like story, like narrative that you're telling and the structure of a rave is like generally at night and it goes on for like at least seven or eight hours yeah sometimes longer like I've yeah. gone for like 24 hours straight <laughs> um, so it's a very like unique musical performance mm-hmm. that you don't get a lot of the times like it's really different than being up on a stage and listening to a concert that goes for maybe like two or three hours so the history of like dance music is black and it's gay yeah like it was created by black people mostly to kind of make sense of, like, the world around them, Mm -hmm. Um, specifically with, like, uh, industrialism in, like, Detroit. That's where techno music came from. And so I was thinking about techno and house music as this way of, like, rewriting your future, like, kind of creating, like, these imaginary futures um, that you wouldn't otherwise be able to see in your current life. Mm -hmm. And... So then I was thinking about, like, the rave now and how it fosters transness as a way for us to break down society's barriers of, like, how we have to live in, like, one gender our whole lives. There's only two. Like, it's not true when you're at the rave. Like, that all melts away. So you get this, like, ephemeral experience of, like, the few hours that you're there you get to experience that and like literally feel it in your body and that's kind of my the basis of my thesis was that like the act of the embodied like raving for seven hours straight like moving your body it's a very like autonomous experience Mm -hmm. still to this day like it's the only place where I feel like fully like mind body connected like yeah fully there yeah Um, I just feel like fully free and then also so you have that like very free and autonomous like individualism but then at the same time you're surrounded by this dance floor of people mm-hmm. who are also experiencing the same thing and that energy is like super contagious and um, in my thesis I talked a lot about that moment of like communal ecstasy where you kind of reach like the peak of the rave and everybody's everybody's feeling it and your body's just kind of like lock into like this mm-hmm. motion it feels so good like there's nothing else that can compare to that yeah so thinking about that as like a communal experience what are the potentials for that experience to like carry on outside of the rave like when you leave you know what I mean yeah that's really cool I think there's a lot of connection that can be made with black people historically developing genres of music like that like you mentioned Detroit and then now this like I feel like that that is a really strong connection there and I feel like there's a lot to draw from in that because I feel like people do develop their own forms of music in order to deal with the issues that they're experiencing or what society has put upon them I think that's really cool that you studied that that's really awesome yeah that is something that a lot of people think about either yeah I think there's like a common conception that like dance music is very mindless that it's just Mm, like mm -hmm. this four to the floor like yeah really repetitive structure of music that doesn't have meaning behind it but I really disagree yeah I think that there's it's so political like it was birthed out of like so much struggle particularly the struggle of black Americans Mm -hmm. um and the struggle of capitalism like that is where it came from yeah and it's so sad that that has been like largely erased when it kind of migrated to Europe and kind of became like big room techno and yeah it's just like mass produced now but I think we're seeing like a really encouraging revival of a lot of like black genres like footwork and juke and different like dance music that are like very much still rooted in blackness yeah 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 and luckily like 
I mean, it's a shame that so many black DJs were erased for so long, but mm-hmm. now we're seeing, like, a lot of black DJs have so much success. Um, yeah. And being recognized on larger platforms, which is so important, because they do it best. Mm-hmm. They just own the music. <laughs> like, they make the music come alive Yeah. in a way that I don't think white DJs can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about you as a DJ, because yeah. I know, like, that's something that you've... How, how long have you been doing that? For about... I think it's been about two years. About two years, yeah. 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 So how did you come into that interest? Or, like, yeah. was that something that, like, when you started thinking about your thesis, you were like, oh, maybe I should, like, pursue this myself? Or, like, how um, did that come to be? It was before the thesis. Yeah. Um, it was actually... I've always loved, like, electronic music, and mm-hmm. I was actually really embarrassed about it as a kid for some reason, because I thought that it was, like a cheaper genre of music like there like I I kind of bought into that conception of like dance music is meaningless or like not real music or like computer music yeah Um, so I was I always loved it and then in CalArts I started listening to it again and came back here and then I got the opportunity to actually like work with a local DJ uh Sherry Miller Mm -hmm. who DJs as mutualism and I met her through a mutual friend, and I just hit her up one day. I was like, can you teach me how to DJ? Like, I'm really interested in doing this. Mm-hmm. And luckily she said, yeah, and we kind of worked out a little deal where I would go over and, like, clean her apartment for a bit, and then she would teach me how to <laughs> DJ. That's so cool. Yeah, so it was, like, a really cool mutual mutual learning experience. And so I started learning on turntables, like, with vinyl Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the first time I ever, like, touched a turntable, it was, like, the vinyl just felt like it was, like, melting in my hand. Like, it was really, like, a beautiful and, like, sensual experience. Of, That's really cool. Like, touching the records and yeah. physically manipulating them. So I just kind of knew that I really wanted to pursue it more and, like, get my own turntables, which I did eventually. And then there there was this workshop called... It's called um, Walking and Falling. Okay. And... It's a workshop for women and non-binary people to learn how to DJ. That's, like, the whole motive of the workshop. That's so cool. And I think it started in Chicago with these DJs, Sassmouth, uh, Kiddo, and Jenny Arcade. And they're all women DJs, super badass. And they just wanted to, like, give an opportunity for, like, young people to touch turntables and cdjs and just get some dj experience because the equipment is so like prohibitively expensive mm, for like, yeah. young people to get their hands on it for the first time yeah so i think it was really important for them to start this workshop mm-hmm. and so they came to buffalo my friend alicia greco brought it to buffalo and she djs under the name leash so that's when i kind of really got a good lesson on djing and went through the whole workshop and then they had like a party afterwards and it was awesome that was when I played my first set and just got a lot of gigs in Buffalo after that like everybody that was involved with that kept supporting me it's awesome Um, and it really felt very communal for a while and then luckily I just started getting gigs like out of town it was it was like a really quick like incline yeah Yeah. and I I felt like I was kind of put in like clubs before I felt ready personally (laughs) I feel like that's how everything works in life though it's scary it has to happen that way sometimes yeah um yeah I felt super nervous I like before a gig I like couldn't eat before going to the club Mm -hmm. um and I probably played a lot of really trash sets But that's how you learn. Like, yeah. you can't really learn how to DJ on, like, a club sound system from your living room. Mm-hmm. Like, you just have to go to the club and learn how to do it. So yeah. I was, like, sneaking into the clubs underage, like, 19, 20, trying to DJ. And it worked for a while. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then, luckily, turned 21, and that wasn't an issue anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you obviously, up until COVID, yeah. were still doing that. So... How has your growth as a DJ, like, been? Have you felt like, you know, you're more prominent now and it feels more natural for you and you don't get as nervous? Or, like, how does that kind of change for you? 
yeah I don't get as nervous yeah but I still get really nervous <laughs> um I think like as the gigs got like bigger and kind of like more well-known mm-hmm. parties that I was getting booked for that definitely brings a lot of nerves and I think that there's a lot of a lot of tendencies for like new DJs to give in to like the oh I just want to be like this really successful DJ and like make that my career and that's just not possible and I think especially with COVID it proved that it's so unstable Mm -hmm. like I have so many friends who lost thousands of dollars of upcoming gigs Wow. And who have no income right now because yeah. that was their main source of income. It's so sad. Yeah. It's so sad. But yeah, I definitely felt like I did improve a lot, mm-hmm. like very quickly, getting these experiences to just be in a club. Yeah. Do you feel like there are a lot of DJs in the community that are like you and identify like you, or do you feel like you're different? Um, I think there, there are a lot of trans DJs, yeah. yeah. Um, I actually... In Buffalo, my very, very close friend, um, Seance Michael, that's their DJ name, mm-hmm. they, um, they identify as non-binary, and we threw a party, um, Ghost Stories, I'm actually wearing a t-shirt right now. Cool. But, so that was supposed to be, like, a very trans-centered party for Buffalo. Yeah. Um, and we threw four parties, and they were really amazing, like, it brought out a lot of young queer people uh which was super important to us because a lot of the other parties that uh were being thrown in buffalo were ran by straight people mostly Mm -hmm. straight white people uh cis people obviously yeah and they owned like all of the resources they still do like they they own the turntables they own the cdjs the speakers the you know the sound system that they can bring to the club Mm -hmm. uh and we didn't, so we just had to maneuver that and, yeah. like, rent stuff or, like, you know, pay some friends to borrow speakers or a mixer, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was a very, like, DIY type of party, like, yeah. scrape it together <laughs> with whatever resources we have, and I think that energy is what actually, like, drew a lot of the young queer and trans people out to our parties, mm-hmm. and it was also just, like, an inclusive environment like yeah it's really cool I think it's actually as good I think like other party promoters can have like the right intentions in mind where they want to make it like a queer friendly space or a space that's safe for black people to come but when it's not ran by like queer people or black people or whatever like it's just not gonna be there like the energy's not gonna it's be not there it's not authentic yeah it's not authentic it's forced mm-hmm. and so I actually did have a lot of issues with a lot of the other party promoters in Buffalo who just paid a lot of lip service to mm-hmm. that idea of like inclusivity yeah. and safety when it really wasn't yeah it I was feel like that a happens a lot with a lot of like not just with your what you do but like any form Everywhere. of music any form of art, really. Like, classical music's even worse about yeah. shit like that. Like, they say, oh, we're being inclusive, we're gonna put one female composer on an entire con- <laughs> like right, concert right, right, cycle, right. and we're like, oh, okay, cool, you did your token thing, like, great. And just the idea of, like, female composer is yeah. misogynist. Oh, yeah, like, oh, yeah. Putting your gender before what right. you do when you could just say composer. Right. You never say, like, this male composer. Like, mm. never. You would never say no. that. No, yeah. no. Yeah, we get, we get the attachment. Like, I've been called that a lot, like, Female, female trumpet Kentucky. player. Yeah, female trumpet yeah. player. Female band director. I'm like, right. really? Like, just say I'm a band director. Like, right. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's really demeaning. Yeah. Yeah. And then you were talking about the feminism ideal and how, mm-hmm. and I, I agree, I think it often um, caters just to straight, cisgendered, mainly white mm-hmm. women. And I, I feel like, hopefully, I think, our world is starting to move towards including trans people in that and including women of color in that and things like that mm-hmm. and I mean that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast because I noticed like a lot of podcasts you know would would only cater to like one facet of that so they would be like oh this is a podcast that focuses on people of color this is a podcast that focuses on feminism but then it ends up being mm-hmm. a bunch of white women right. and things like that and I'm like okay I need to create something that includes literally everyone right. Just that isn't in the societal position of power right yeah 
so like I feel that like that's so true and I and a lot of times just as a teacher myself um I have a lot of kids that are openly now like coming out as gender fluid and things like that and so like I feel I feel hope for the fact that I feel like kids now are more comfortable with expressing themselves earlier yeah like I know like where we grew up that was like not a thing i'm pretty sure our gsa club started like when i was in high school yeah it was like like, new when we were there yeah 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 Yeah. i liked how you mentioned um so many of your students like opening up as gender fluid like that's so cool Mm -hmm. because i don't think anybody when we were in school was open about that no okay dude this is like so embarrassing i didn't even know there were gay people until i was 12 really seventh grade (laughs) health class oh no well, Isn't at least terrible? they mention gay people in health class. Right? I feel like that's not a thing, usually. Yeah, but it's, like, it's so sad to me because when we, as a society, when, I won't say, like, everyone does this, but when we, like, are raising our kids and things like that and we're showing them, like, this is affection or this is normal, and then we see things like gay affection or trans affection things like that and we're going oh that's adult that's inappropriate for kids to see and then we like yeah like we push that on them and then so that kids when they start to question Mm -hmm. who they are as they get older and they're you know becoming teenagers and things like that and their eyes are becoming more open to what sexuality is yeah they're sitting there and they're going well shit am i weird yeah you just don't know what's happening to you like you feel you feel inside that there's something different about yeah, you. Yeah, you can't, like, you figure can't really out. Place yeah. it. At least I couldn't. Yeah, because we grew up in a very wealthy... Like, I don't think neither of us really grew up in, like, wealthy families. No. Like, I was definitely, like, well below the average income. Yeah, same. But, like... Of Clarence. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, but, like, we both grew up in a very white, wealthy, conservative town. Christian. Very Christian. Very Christian. Yeah. And so, like... I feel like even if our school tried to start teaching more of those things, they would be shut down so quick by parents. Yeah, the parents' influence on it. Yeah, I don't know if you remember this, but do you remember when we were in high school and they had, like, the whole burning of the books thing? Yeah. And they wanted to, like, burn, like, books, like, To Kill a Mockingbird and shit like that because it mentioned segregation yeah and they were like, our God-fearing children do not want to know about the horrors of the world. And I was just, like, Mm -hmm. sitting there, like then how are they gonna know how to improve the world if they don't understand our past and like so like toxic shit like that yeah really bothers me we grew up in a world where being something that wasn't straight or cisgender it was considered weird yeah absolutely not okay and things like that and so like my question for you is like when did you start to feel like the body that you were in Mm -hmm. that you grew up in was not yours like internally I mean, looking back on it, I always felt like that. Yeah. Um, I I never really opened up about it in high school, but I was yeah. so miserable. Like, I really struggled with depression, and I couldn't name it. Like, I had, I had no idea why I was feeling the way that I was feeling. Yeah. Like, um, even talking to you now today, like, you seem more, so much more comfortable than you were in high school. Yeah, I am. <laughs> like, you were always, like, kind of, you were, like, a little awkward. Yeah. You weren't finding your place. Yeah, for you really sure. weren't. Yeah, you weren't finding your like where you were comfy. I've always felt like that was the case. Yeah, and I remember like sophomore year, I kind of started having the feeling of like I need to like come out as something. Like I think I'm queer, but I mm. couldn't. Mm-hmm. So I just came out as bisexual. Yeah, as a, like default. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I just felt like I had something that like needed to came come out, and I was trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came out as bisexual, and then a few years later realized I'm not bisexual I'm trans and that like all the pieces just like fell into place Mm -hmm. and now I I'm gay like I feel gay like attracted to men and trans so that was like a solidification of my identity and now I can really look back at like those years in high school and give myself a lot of compassion for like what I was yeah yeah Um, and I actually, like, a few few days ago, actually, I was thinking about how being in band was, like, the best outlet that I had at the time to, like, 
kind of just put that emotion into music like mm-hmm. I always viewed it as such an emotional experience and like yeah. you can probably remember I was crying all the time in band like yeah. the music would just like touch me <laughs> and it would yeah you did cry. cry a lot I cried it's a okay lot. I did too it's fine yeah like I think it's cool like how music in schools can be that outlet for kids to like work through emotions and yeah it's important like children need to work through emotions so I think it's really cool that you're working with kids now especially kids that are like coming out as gender fluid and exploring yeah. that at such a young age yeah so I have I pretty much I think I have a kid for any sort of gender and sexuality expression Love I'm, that. I'm pretty sure I don't uh pry too much because yeah. I know that uh high school is a time of just trying to f- just trying to literally just trying to survive so a wacky time b yeah. and just like trying to figure out who the hell you are and you may identify one way at the beginning of the year and something completely different at the end so like mm-hmm. for me as a teacher i always ask my kids their pronouns a yeah. starters because i don't want to misgender somebody yeah um especially since last year i was it was my first year teaching and mm-hmm. i was brand new right and i didn't want to do that like i was very hyper aware of that i, I wouldn't say i was like weird about it but I just like I made it so um I had a kind of like a get to know you stupid form which they were all like rolling their eyes about but I was like yeah. literally I need this information yeah. and I had them fill it out that way because I didn't want if a kid felt like they were going to be ostracized by the rest of the group for right. saying oh I go by they them pronouns or something like right, that right. I wanted to make it so it was kind of more anonymous but mm-hmm. at least I was getting it from everyone so like I even made my binary kids do it like I was like I yeah. know you're binary I don't care you're writing like I go by she, she her pronouns whatever yeah absolutely so that's kind of like how I did it just so like I got to know my kids before yeah you know and I love that that's the way you chose to do it because even in college I had some professors who we're definitely trying to do that to be really open and like normalize different pronoun usage and they would ask us to like state our pronouns like yeah. the first day of class or whatever and it, I would usually be the only one that clearly yeah. had different pronouns yeah so, like making you say that like in front of everybody right, right so even when teachers are trying to be really inclusive and make it a safe environment it's hard to and I think yeah. you're doing a really great job of that Thank which you. is great to hear yay yeah, no, I'm, I'm trying. Uh, I'm, I'm learning more and more, and I'm trying to be better about that. You yeah. know you know where we grew up. Yeah. Trying to educate myself. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's really, it's really a lot of unlearning that you have to do. Yes. Yeah, and yes. I really recognize, like, that time, and I'm sure it's really the same at any school, but really just a violent moment of, like, division of, like, you're a girl and you're a boy, mm-hmm. and... Well, even down to, uh, and I've mentioned this on previous episodes, our band uniform. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where we had to wear those, like, freaking witches' gowns. Literally the witches' gown. Yeah. Oh and my we were, God. like, walking around, like, freaking Glinda, like, but yeah. in a black dress, and I hated it. And I am a straight, cisgender, white woman. Yeah. And I hated it. Right. Well, I hated it for, A, the fact that, I, like, I don't really dress very, like, feminine at all. Like, and then, like just the functionality of it when we had to make mute changes and shit like that like I don't know if you remember but if we put it on our lap it just like roll off of all the floor yeah. and I like just I hated that so like the whole idea of having a set uniform for schools is so outdated I forgot because, about that yeah wow. but it's shit that like now that I'm a teacher I think about and mm-hmm. I'm like I, I, I would never do that to my kid unless you want to wear a dress exactly like, and I told him like to. I don't care what it is as long as it's black and it's professional looking yeah that's then, all it needs to be. Just just do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I said. So I was like, um, no one can justify saying that I'm incorrect in that when literally the professionals are doing that that yeah. way. And there was, like, this whole issue with my kids of color and, like, what they were doing with their hair. Mm, yeah. What is professional hair for the yeah, stage? For classical yeah. music. Wow. Um, isn't this an auditory thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. A, it's high school band. The people that are there are their parents. Yeah. Even though we came from this very elitist band program that acted like so our shit elitist. didn't stink, that has had toxic repercussions on me for so long. I just like have to like peel back all of these layers. And so like their parents are there. Everyone that's there loves them. They don't give a shit about what their kid looks like. They're there to like listen to the concert and you yeah. know? Like that's the thing. It's like an auditory experience. Like it shouldn't matter. Mm-hmm what color their hair is right i don't know if you remember this and i'm not gonna out this teacher and i'm not gonna out this student but do you remember when a particular percussionist 
in high school dyed his hair like bright red right before a concert and one of our band directors flipped out i don't remember oh that. my gosh maybe you weren't in high school yet you may have not been do you remember oh him? yeah and he was gay yeah and yeah. he came he dyed his he hair he faced a lot of shit i remember right so that's another example of like the queer kids in high school just getting ostracized yeah. for expressing themselves yeah and that like was a hair issue. is so like i have pink hair right now it's shaved yeah it just a lot of the stuff like just has me reflecting on that and you're the first person i interviewed that went to high school with me so i feel yeah. like i'm just gonna keep bringing up high school because yeah oh something that you brought up about um the elitism program having toxic repercussions like it made me think about how healing the rave has been in that aspect because yeah. it's completely the opposite like a lot of the times you can actually hardly see the dj like you're in the dark there's no stage usually you're on like the same level sometimes you're even like in a booth or like behind a curtain where you're not seen on the dance floor mm -hmm. so it's just a completely different experience of like depersonalization where like your ego is yeah because we had some egos huge egos from <laughs> the directors from other students yeah. who thought that they were like hot shit like the best like flute player or whatever you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah and that i think since raving and and also being immersed like in the music culture of even just a track you might not even know who made the track like it's not even yeah. about that it's just about like the experience of being there right like what is this person gonna do with their with their records that they have in their bag how are they gonna create this narrative that's like unique to like them and how are they gonna like disseminate it yeah and it's taking their people? identity out of it it's totally. like all about what they're producing and that's that's where like I feel like classical music needs to head towards that direction because yeah. I feel like everything we do is like super outdated because I mean obviously that's the profession that I'm in and mm -hmm. unfortunately I'm not in classical music for classical music's sake yeah. I decided to be a band director because I had such a profound experience being in band like you yeah. said like the the music and the healing yeah and the emotional connection that comes with being in an ensemble yeah that's what hooked me and I think that's also what like brought us together. Like we exactly. had very similar feelings about that. Yeah, and we had the same frustrations. Yeah, about things as well. And yeah, there was a lot of elitism in our program to a point where we were just pressured to play perfectly. Yeah, all the time. To a point where like almost mental breakdowns. Like our band director had multiple yeah. mental breakdowns so on us. And I went into college playing with so much toxic tension mm -hmm. that like my undergrad trumpet teacher had to like completely just like peel back from me because I had so much, I didn't even know where it was coming from and a lot of it was psychological. Yeah. yeah. Like I was so scared of screwing up that it, yeah, I made a lot of enemies my senior year, but do I really care right now? No. no. But like I felt like the things that I was standing for ended up you know influencing my teaching in the future and like what I want for my kids because like yes I want my kids to be good musicians but I also care that they're good people first right and that was a difference between being our a programs good musician does not equate to like being a terrified musician or yes. like an abused musician yep it actually really hurts you in the long run mm -hmm. which we can both attest to in yeah. multiple different situations it's just not the way a lot of us bonded with the because of the musical experience but it also created a culture of hate in a way because we were encouraged to be competitive with each other from the very beginning oh yeah and like so competitive competition can be healthy mm -hmm. but it can also be extremely toxic when it's pushed yeah. to a point and i feel like we were pushed there yeah so frequently what was like the the new york state was it nisma yeah so i remember our band director I won't name names, but <laughs> he asked me if I was gonna do NISMA, and I never did it because I never wanted to participate in the like competitive aspect of it, of yeah. like, getting a score, like a numbered score on like how well you played something. Mm -hmm. It just didn't interest me at all. Yeah. And so I told him no, and he looked at me and was like, well then, that's a major red flag to me that you actually want to be going into music as a career. I think you should reconsider. And that was so shocking to me, just because I didn't want to participate in this literal, like, music competition, essentially. Well, yeah, and they and they thought that music was all just one thing. Right. That there wasn't this huge breadth of what music is. Right. 
it's very classical western white centered yeah it's very and at the time i was actually studying with this guy named naheem shabazz who lives in buffalo he's mm-hmm. like a working trombonist he yeah. plays ska and like Afrobeat. yeah yeah i remember that music. oh god there was a rat sorry <laughs> <laughs> a huge rat i'm definitely gonna leave this in <laughs> We're outside in Addison's backyard. Going Giant now. rat. It's a rat. <laughs> but Buffalo. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's fine. So, yeah, I think you're right on the nose with that. Yeah. Music, like, music was one thing in this very white, structured, conservative community. And anything else was just considered, like, unprofessional or not worth your time. Mm. And that's so hurtful. Like, there's even so jazz. much music. Even jazz. Because yeah. jazz, I feel like... Because this is just me coming from, I'm classically trained, blah, 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 went to conservatories, yada, yada, yada. Um, when I was there, like, even just jazz programs were just so isolated and thrown aside and, like, the whatever. Yeah. And we literally grew up that way as well. Like, jazz was even, like, whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, we sucked. sucked. We sucked. were so bad. People could not swing for shit. <laughs> <laughs> we just swung, like, a bunch of rich white kids. Yeah. Fine. Um, yeah. Well, we couldn't swing worth the shit. Uh, improvisation. Forget about it. We, like, threw up into our horns and was like, yeah, there it is. Woo-hoo. And then I went to school and I heard, like, real jazz. Yeah. But just, like, even that. Like, a genre that's seen in a more high regard was right and also i'm just thinking of this like do you remember the aversion to playing like pop songs our directors would be like that's incredibly unprofessional and i'm like dude we're 16 years old like we're not we're not in like a philharmonic like we just want to play a fun song yeah oh like my middle schoolers play like freaking super mario now it's fine right um yeah no i completely agree with that and actually i was talking with a middle school band director from Houston, Texas, and she's she's a black woman, and she was talking about how she incorporates trap music and hip hop music Into, in her like, band her concerts, band. Wow. and things and people think that she's crazy. And she said, "This is what my kids are listening to. This is the only way to retain kids and keep them interested." Yeah, I think people certainly were like really passionate about it mm-hmm. because they did foster that. Like they really yeah. put a lot of effort into the music department there. But it was, it did have its dark sides of elitism. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it was some of the best experiences in my life. Like, for sure. For sure. Yeah, really good memories. And the best people yeah, that and I, I met, often like think, all my best like, friends. Would I be a musician now if I didn't get that, like, excellent music education? It was, it was great, you know? Yeah, I and definitely s- wouldn't be. And so many of our peers, like, did go to music school, mm-hmm. a lot of them, and are still working in music. Yeah. Which is really great. Yeah, that is great. It is. It is. So, like, I feel like the positives did outweigh the negatives, but there were definitely some things that, you know, being being in their place now, I'm looking at them like, there was a better way to do that. Certainly. <laughs> and and when we were students, it felt like it was the only way. And yeah. now they were out of it, we're like, wow, yeah, that was that was messed up (laughs) you it takes you a few years and Mm -hmm. especially now i like i'm constantly thinking about how like i could do things better looking at that like wow yeah and it is really interesting to think about these things juxtaposed against my experience with dance music like yeah going from that elitism and classical training to something that is so often considered like not even real music Mm -hmm. interesting connections yeah Definitely. I think it had, like, a lot of influence on what you ended up doing. Yeah, and a lot of musical healing. Like, I i don't even think I was conscious about it before this conversation, but a lot of, like, healing of that experiences in high school, but then also, like, the trauma of CalArts of becoming so, like, disconnected from music for so long. Yeah. Because of those experiences, like, my current, like, musical, like, groups are very healing in that in that way yeah and I think that music has just had such a significant impact in your life like you kept coming back to it yeah like as much as like some experiences try to like deter you mm-hmm. from pursuing it you kept coming back to it yeah. I think that's like that's so admirable thank you yeah yeah it felt like something was missing from my life whenever I wasn't involved in it mm-hmm. even right now like when I can't play in any clubs or go to any race yeah like really sad and I feel like part of me is not the same without it yeah yeah, yeah I, I feel the same way mm-hmm. it's really weird time right and we can like practice in our house but it's just not the same like, no that's true all right so I guess my final question for you is how can we and I mean we as like 
the entire all the people that are listening right now mm-hmm. how can we support trans musicians and trans artists do you have like resources that you can think of off the top of your head things that people can look into to support them either either through listening to their whatever they're creating or financially or something during this time right i mean i know so many djs who are out of work right now have been doing like streaming on like twitch or another streaming platform like that and asking for donations so but yeah like they are asking for donations during this time and i also think that more generally like support of trans musicians comes down to like access to resources Mm -hmm. and access to like club spaces because something that uh i really struggled with in buffalo at least was you have to know people to like get a night at a club to throw a party you know like you have to go and talk to these bar owners and be like can i do a night at your club Mm -hmm. so any like young trans artist is probably not gonna have those connections or the comfort level to like put yourself out there and do that yeah and then also like i said the equipment that you need is so so expensive and many of us don't own the things that are needed to like dj so something that i've always wanted to see was like a community like studio space where there could just be like turntables a set of cdjs a mixer and like anybody can go and practice on them that would be really cool it would be so cool i think about it so often like yeah it would allow anybody to learn it to just because it's not hard like Mm -hmm. if you have a good body of music it's just a matter of learning like the technicalities of the mixer and like manipulating the records but most of it is just like your personal music taste you get to like put it yeah put it all out there that's so cool so for people to like have just a really simple space like that where they can go and access the equipment would be huge i think Mm -hmm. especially for like marginalized people that really never get a chance to put their hands on the gear like it would be really i think it would really change the game of yeah. like who is getting who's getting like access to larger music platforms and who's getting booked for gigs yeah you know what i mean yeah it really right. is a game of like who do you know yeah who do you know that knows somebody else in another city mm-hmm. and i got lucky with that like i did i had people that supported me but not everybody does so it's just a matter of access yeah yeah i completely agree well addison <laughs> I want to thank you for agreeing to be on this and everything and talking with me today. Absolutely. I'm so proud of you and the person you are and you you. are becoming. And thank you so much. Yeah. I had a really great time talking about this. Woohoo! Yeah.